Easter. Four days of outdoor adventures, work in the garage or doing stuff around the home or even in the garden. you got to love that. Bring on the jobs and pile them up. 101 long weekend jobs ready to tackle. You could be in the outdoors, putting your four-wheel drive to the test, tearing down an internal wall or maybe putting a new one up, or even repurposing an old wine barrel for an outdoor table. Whatever the task over Easter, Trojan Tools are up for the job. Trojan Tools. Quality tools at DIY prices backed by a lifetime warranty. Available in store or online at Bunnings Warehouse. Trojan. Tools built tough. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Life is full of ups and downs. I've found over the last few years, talking to someone, especially a psychologist, has been a really helpful tool for me to make sense of my thoughts. I try to keep it a consistent part of my life because I love being proactive with my mental health. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy provider in the world. BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. If you're busy like everyone else these days, the good news is it's entirely online. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com dill. That's betterhelp.com dill. B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash dill, D-Y-L. Yes, uh, welcome back to Dylan Friends this week on the show. Awesome, awesome episode uh, for you all to listen to today. You cannot listen to this without feeling good about yourself and what's to come in life and in future. It's Cooper Chapman. Love this guy. We we connected weirdly, actually. We were just sort of like internet friends, met through uh, social media and have been wanting to do this podcast with him for a long time. Cooper is a, is a really cool guy. He was a former pro surfer, traveled the world doing surfing, and and then from that actually founded his uh, his business that he does today called The Good Human Factory and has a massive uh, emphasis on mental health and gratitude and getting the most out of yourself and just oozing good energy. He does workshops in workplaces, in schools, um, and I was lucky enough to get him on the podcast to yeah, tell his story, which is really, really cool. Has his own podcast, as I mentioned, has a 1% good club that you'll hear about. But yeah, just doing awesome things. I really appreciate his time and um, and getting into sparing some, spread some good messages because uh, he's an awesome dude and love what he's been able to do. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hi fam, it's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This is Dylan Friends. He's like, you can embarrass yourself. And I was like, bro, do you want me to do all seven verses? Be arrogant. Didn't know all yeah. seven. So I've been in a bad team for 10 years and we got a chance to do something pretty special this year. All you can do is put your hand up and say you're wrong. Banter is a way that guys connect, a way that we can kind of play it safe with someone until we get to know them. I try to fix people sometimes. I'm like, Dan, stop doing that. Just listen. And you stack on top of that the habit of not taking your phone when you take your dog. It's easy. They had no other way to get out of the cave and we either turn our backs on them, in which case they're going to die, or we give this crazy idea a go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Are we, record, are we on? Oh, we're on. Oh, we're, okay. Hey, man, how are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. What's going on? Mate, it's good to be in the studio. I've Mate. been excited for this for a very long time. Oh, and I, we... I, I've got to get a new like line of saying this has been a long time in the making because I feel like I say that with every guest, but this one really has. Like we've been chatting for probably twelve months about doing something, and you're finally, finally here. I know, and it's really cool. I think I'm here, and, and I tell you, I was talking to someone about, I was talking to DK Danny Kennedy about yep. this, who I know you've been training with. How, and I spoke to him about this in my podcast. How our kind of friendship started from me just being like, dude, you're killing it, like really supportive whereas so many people see other podcasts and other people doing well and try and like get jealous whereas mm. i'm just like so inspired by what you've created and yeah. just by people who have like just gone out there and gone after it and yeah it's like to be sitting here and Mate, me to too. honestly the few feelings are mutual that you know gave me a bit of goosebumps even hearing that so i really do appreciate it but um likewise man i've seen what you're doing with the good human movement with everything you've been doing with your surfing and sort of like 
got to the stage where I was like, this guy's just not fucking going away. Not in terms of like, not in terms of what we were doing. <laughs> not in but terms I was of like, the DMs. Not I in terms yeah. of the DMs. I was like, not that I wanted you to go away, but I was just like, I, just relentless. And I, I just respect the hustle, love what you're doing. Um, our stories align. And I think that's just really cool about this is, we've, this is the first time I've actually met, but I already feel like I fucking know you. I so, know. Um, it's a bit weird. But, um, it's good when it's like that. I've I've got a lot of like social media connection friends yeah. kind of like that just because I feel like both of us are the same. We're very networked and connected that yeah. there's like a few degrees of separation that it's like, yeah, it feels that you already know people just because you kind of watch their stuff and you, yeah. I mean, especially with podcasting, I feel like it's funny when you're a host, when you listen to somebody talk so often, you feel like you're friends with them. Yeah. So yeah, I listen to plenty of Dylan friends. Oh, so I feel awesome. like we're good mates already. I appreciate it. We are. You know what's funny with that is I actually had a chat with my mates on the weekend and for me, and this is, it's a weird one, but like you, when you do this for a living, you forget people actually live and listen to the show. I don't know if you th- get that. Like I forget that these conversations people actually listen to. Like you know people listen to them obviously, mm. but you forget like maybe some of your friends listen to them and I've realized like recently I was having a chat with my mate and he's like, how you going? How you been? I was like, fuck, man, I haven't heard from you for like ages. Like, how have you been? Like, I wish we could stay in touch more. And he's like, well, I listen to you every week. So it was like, for me, I like have like really lacking connection with a lot of my friends, but for them, like they're listening to the pods. So they feel like we're connected, but we're like not. I, that- lit- it's, I literally had this conversation with my mate last night yeah. about my parents. So, cause I'm like, I feel like I'm getting pretty good at speaking and articulating and mm. speaking to these really smart people and having these really deep conversations. And my, I've realized that my parents have a lot of respect for me and I only noticed why last night. And I was like, it's because they listen to every one of my episodes and they hear the way I speak to people. They hear the kind of worldly views and the different mm. concepts that I talk about. So they look at me like I'm this far, not far more mature than I am, but they understand all these different ways that I talk, even though it's not directly to them. Yeah. It's, it's super weird. It's yeah. really weird. Um, Mike, tell us a bit, of, a bit about yourself. For those of you, if, if you've never heard your name before and what you do at Good Human Factory, what would you what would you say you do? I mean, now my life's a bit different to a few years ago. So I've been a professional surfer for the last 15 years, travelled the world, competing on the world qualifying series, been trying to get onto that top level world tour, top 30, but never quite cracked it. Yeah. But lived an incredible life doing that. Um, and then the last two years I've been building this thing called the Good Human Factory, which is a mental health organization at its core, but really trying to do things a bit differently, quite similar to what Hugh Van Kallenberg does, who I know you're great friends with. Yep. And that's trying to come from that positive angle and realize that mental health is not mental illness. They're kind of two different topics in my mind. And I'm trying to come from that mental health side. What are these positive things we can do in our life? And Coming from an extreme sport background, I've got an incredible network of people. So I'm kind of just trying to make mental health cool and make it this general conversation, just like yourself and Dan mm. and your crew are in the footy world, trying to do the same kind of thing in the extreme sport world and yeah, run workshops with schools, corporates. And it's been really cool trying to spread that message and make it a bit lighter hearted than the whole mental illness side of the industry. That's unreal, man. I love it. I love it. I think you've nailed that elevator pitch. Like that's, it's, it's so <laughs> good that. because I, I think that in this space as well, and I've been really lucky to be talking to so many awesome um, people like yourself and what you do with your show, which we'll get into, but I love that view of like with mental health There's always that um, when, when you say it straight away, you think like negatively about it. Mm. Whereas like it's starting to flip the script now being like, no, mental health is actually a good thing. Yeah. Like you can be struggling with it, but it's actually that you, you want it to have like a good connotation to it instead of like talking about an illness. Is that like, does that make sense? Exactly. Like I want people when you hear mental health to go like, oh, gratitude, mindfulness, kindness, yeah. empathy, not, oh, depression, anxiety, suicide. It's like these are definitely topics that are important to talk about. But the way I see it is 
95% of the industry are focused on the mental illness and there's not that big of a market on the side of what myself and Hugh are doing. So I'm just trying to, and to be honest, like I'm not a psychologist. I'm not trying to say I have the answers, but if I can share my stories and hopefully inspire people to change their mindset a little bit around mental health, it might, yeah, just lighten the load and realize, hey, we all go through challenging times and we all need to do things on a daily basis to take care of it. So many people are waiting to slip to that mental illness side of the spectrum and then asking for help and then seeking things to fix it. Whereas mental health isn't something that can be fixed. It's something that we live with, with every day. So we need to develop those habits that keep us walking. I call it like a treadmill. Like yeah. unless you're walking against the treadmill to good mental health, it's eventually going to drag you back down. So we just need to yeah, be conscious of that and self-aware and develop strong skills. Mm. Love it. I did a podcast um, a few weeks ago with this guy, Joan Oliver. I don't know if you heard, he's a psychologist. He works with Cam Smith, the golfer. Oh, sick. Um, he's worked with like the Olympians, Commonwealth Games athletes, like really well-renowned guy, but publicly has never really done much. So like on the sort of first person to like speak to him sort of publicly in a sense like this. And I think it was one of the most eye-opening experiences for me and like these side of things because we talk a lot about, you know, mental health and being on top of each other, meditation, all these sorts of things. But one thing that he introduced me to, which I loved, um, and it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it too, is we talk a lot about things that we put in place for when we're stressed, but also as an athlete, as a human, like we're going to have these times, we're going to be stressed, we're going to have anxiety, we're going to have all these things. And it's actually about leaning into it and being mm. like, you know what, instead of like trying to escape it, let's like, how do you perform when you're actually in these spaces as well, which is a new concept that I think we can also um, get better at as well. Yeah, I like that. It's like an analogy I'm, I'm trying to get right at the moment. Mm. I might be able to get right now. Is like, I like to think of mental health and my overall life as if I'm a big wave surfer. The preparation for that big wave doesn't come the day the swell gets here. It's about having your equipment right, making sure you're fit and healthy enough, making sure you can do your breath holds, making sure you've got the safety team around you. It's about all the preparation before that wave comes. And then when the wave comes, you can enjoy it. You can ride it. Just like you were saying, you got to learn how to actually be like perform when it's actually coming to you, that big wave, which can be, you know I mean, those challenging moments in life. If you're not prepared, then you're going to wipe out. It's going to be very difficult to find balance on that wave. But if you do that preparation before, you can kind of enjoy it and kind of thrive through those difficult mm. times. Proactivistness, reactiveness, I suppose, being proactive with it, which is huge. I love it. I love where we're going with this. But um, we're getting carried away. Let's go back to your story um, at the start because I really want to touch on your surfing career. I've never spoke to a surfer before. And like instant as a kid, like I grew up in the city – and just wanted to be a surfer so badly. I think any kid that grew up in the city just wanted to be like surfer, have like the rip curl sticker on the back of their station wagon, like go That's to the funny. beach. You don't feel like you're a part of the, you know, you don't really feel like you're a part of it being from Melbourne um, or inner city. Um, how'd you get into it? What was your, what was your early journey getting into surfing? From from a young age, like my dad obviously surfed, well, not obviously, but my yeah. dad surfed all the time and well, I was always around the beach. So I got pushed into sort of nipples, nippers from a young age. I was at the beach every weekend yep. and, from about eight, I got on a surfboard. I actually played a lot of rugby union as well, like mm. quite high. I had like, it's funny. I've got a few people who, like Reese Hodgie plays for the Wallabies now. I used to verse like every weekend and I actually had him on my podcast and like we reminisced about our footy days. And then Clinton Gutherson, who is captain of the Eels, who just played in the grand final, me and my dad used to pick him up every twice a week to go um, to footy training because we used to play in like reps together until yeah. I was like 14. So I kind of juggled the team sport and surfing, but then began to have quite a lot of success at a young age in surfing, sort of 12 to 16. We have all different grommet events, we call them. And I used to 
rock up. This is actually what Reese said to me. He's like, oh, I remember you used to rock up to footy with wet hair all the time. Because <laughs> I used to like surf in the morning, have like regional or state titles for surfing and then go to footy. And then I got to about 13 and I was like, all right, I got to give footy up surfing. I was sponsored by Rip Curl when I was like 11 and Fuck. began to get a bit of success and won like an Australian title when I was 14. So yeah, early days surfing was quite successful for me. I got to represent Australia at world junior titles in like Ecuador, Panama and Peru when I was like 14, 15 and 16 through high school. So yeah, my junior career was really fun and it was nice to have that path set. And I feel like you're probably the same with AFL once you're doing well young you kind of have that clear vision post school which I feel like a lot of people don't have but then the thing that a lot of people like us as young athletes get is that next stage that mid-20s step whereas I feel quite similar to you where we've kind of piggybacked off the back of our career into something next Mm. Um, but yeah surfing was amazing left school was sponsored by Hurley after I finished school getting paid pretty decent money and went straight on to or after school I was in like the junior tour we call it under 20 21 and I got second in that tour, like when I was 17 and 18. And instead of doing my last year or two on the junior tour, I went straight to the international qualifying series, we call it, which is like, oh, it's hard to explain. So in surfing, there's the top 32 in the world. That's a world tour. Yep. And now I look at it, it's like, that's like the all-star team of the bloody world in yeah. surfing. Wow. So to get onto that Is it like the ATP? Uh, it's called the WSL, the World Surf League World yeah. Tour. I don't know where I got that from, to be honest. Yeah, ATP's the tennis, I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you didn't play tennis? No, oh, okay. I didn't play tennis. Okay. I suck at tennis. <laughs> but anyway, so to get onto that tour, we have the qualifying tour where there's like 500 people and the top 100 in that kind of do the elite part of that tour. And I've been on that top 100 tour for the last Fuck. 10 years and been pretty close. Like the top 10 on my tour progressed to the top tour and the bottom 10 on the top tour drop off. Yep. And I've kind of been doing that tour, which is international all around the world for all of my, like, for 18 to 26. Up until last year, I was kind of doing that. Wow. But, yeah, it's been a pretty epic life getting to travel the world and go surfing, to be honest, like, super grateful. But there was definitely times in my early 20s where I kind of expected the world and expect, like, you know, I don't know, I was kind of that young athlete who didn't realise how amazing my life was. But throughout my 20s, I began to shift that mindset quite a bit. Yeah, well, you only know what you know till you know it really don't you like you, mm. you can be in a certain a circumstance you don't have um a view of what like you know how grateful you are or what an awesome opportunity it, it must be i must say though because the question i'm about to ask is so stupid because i know i probably know the answer to it but like becoming a professional surfer you sort of think surfing so chill what a cool career that would be there'd be no stress that comes with that but obviously no that would not be correct yeah, I think just as any young athlete, and this is something that I really talk about with my workshop now, yeah. my um, mental health business is as a young athlete, I used to base my whole identity. I was Cooper Chapman, the pro surfer. Mm. I'd go to my local beach and everyone would be like, good job, man. Like you're winning surf comps. This was like when I was a junior. And then I got to that international tour and wasn't winning as much and wasn't as successful. And I kind of felt this overwhelming anxiety of like, for one, letting myself down, letting my sponsors down, letting the people around me down because my identity was so wrapped up in my surfing career. I like felt like I was just Cooper Chapman, the pro surfer. And then I did some work with my sports psych and kind of was like, hey, you're not just Cooper Chapman, the pro surfer. Like, what are your values? What are the certain sort, sort of things that you want to be like remembered by? How do you want to live your life? And that kind of changed a lot of 
my perspective as like being a young athlete, but kind of like you said at the start, there is that outside looking in like, oh, you're traveling the world as a surfer, but it's a very professional sport. Like it's in the Olympics now. I mm. was training full time with, with strength and conditioning coaches at Surfing Australia for like the last eight years with sports sykes, working on equipment. A lot of stuff goes into it, like traveling the world. It's like one of the most international sports really out there. So I was doing, since I was 16, I've been booking my own flights and trying to travel the world and doing it all by myself with mates and stuff. So it's been an epic life, but there's definitely a lot of pressure and expectation on yourself, but also from sponsors and whatnot around you. Fucking hell. Just on, on a professional level for a moment, talk us through some of maybe your best performances, favorite performances, like where in the world did you love surfing the most? Like who have you surfed against? Like what are some of your favorite sort of surfing stories on a professional level? You look back and go, fuck, that's unbelievable. Oh, I'll give you a good one that people obviously know some of these names. So there used to be this thing called the Boost Mobile Air Show. Mm. And I was sponsored by Hurley at the time. I was about, I think I was like 17 or 16 maybe. I was a super grom. And there was this event at Bondi, which was the air show, and a bunch of like the best guys in the world, like Kelly Slater, Mick Fanning, a whole bunch of people come to this event just to do this like exhibition kind of air show. And because I was sponsored by Hurley, I got like the wild card and got to like sort of sneak into it as a grom. And at the time I was pretty good at doing airs and I still am. It was some kind of one of my strong points. And I got to do this event and they used to spin this wheel and there was all different tricks on the wheel and you had to go out and do it. And if you landed that trick, you get like a letter. So it was like a novelty event basically. And I did pretty well that day and like got to verse Slater in a couple of heats and like beat him in like doing the air that he didn't land and I landed it. So I like ended up making the final of this event and it was like, I think it was like me, Mick Fanning, Kelly Slater, Owen Wright, Geordie Smith, like all the biggest names and me just a kid. And the winner won like 10 grand or might have been 20 grand and like this huge TV and like second and third, fourth and fifth in the final got nothing. And I ended up doing like one of the best airs I've ever done in my life. And I was like, no way I could win this thing. And then Owen Wright did like something huge and ended up winning. And I got second, I got nothing. So I was just like, and I was just like, it was at Bondi Beach and I was like, at least let me get up on stage and let me like, let all the young girls see me up on stage, but I got nothing out of it. But that was a pretty cool story. But no, I mean, I've been so lucky. I've got to verse some of the best guys like Gabriel Medina, multiple time world champ. Like these are all the guys that I grew up competing against. So I've had like great wins over those guys, very minimal amount of times, but Yeah, surfing's a pretty insulated community. So, like, all of the top guys that you see now are kind of all the guys I've grown up with competing with and becoming really good friends with. It's unbelievable. What's it like? Um, so, we spoke to Lucas Herbert, who's a, a golfer a while ago. And when in, a, in an individual sport, I've only ever really played team sports. And individual sport, like, the psyche of the competition really fascinates me because I, I don't know what it's, it's like. Tennis, golf, surfing to, to, to a certain degree as well. Well, definitely. It's like when you're out there, you're out the back, you nearly one on one or one on verse three, like whoever the comp, however the comp's going. What's it like competing with that surf at the time? Do you guys like talk? Is it obviously depends on certain people? Do people try and wig each other out? Like, is, there's a lot of like skill and strategy that goes into those things, isn't there? There's definitely some tactics, and it's kind of changed throughout my career because up until maybe I was 21, so up until like seven, eight years ago, it used to be no priority. So now, when you're out there in a comp, if you paddle for a way, like. It's kind of hard to explain. So it used mm. to be dog eat dog. Whoever was on the inside got to yeah. catch the wave. So the hassling and the tactics would really gnarly. Then they changed it to you basically take turns yeah. now to catch waves. So it's a little bit less tactical, but 
Yeah, there used to be, especially when I was younger, like tactics play such a part and like not much talking very rarely goes on out there surfing. But yeah, it's, it's like, it's an interesting sport because it's not exactly like quite often you're versing the ocean. Yeah. It's about the waves that you catch. So you can't really control what other people are doing and your tactics doesn't really do too much to their performance. It's about your own performance. How do you surf on the wave? How do you choose the waves yourself? But yeah, it's a it's an interesting sport surfing because you are versing Mother Nature most of the time, and that's the hardest thing to try and overcome, really. Hundred percent. This is going to sound super weird because you're a surfer, and I, I don't surf at all. But like, I'm a massive ocean guy, so obviously you, you'd love the ocean. You'd love like being in the water. I'm sure it spiritually does a lot for you. It did for me when I was living in Sydney. Like, I used to go to the beach every day, mm. get in the water, and that was one of the things I really struggled with when I came back. Like, I felt it was nearly like a bath of just like getting in there flushing i'd go under like put my head under the waves like nearly feel that like just energy through and like it would just like flush out like all my problems and issues and i'd get out of the water anyway what i mean with that is like how what is your relationship like with the ocean like i feel like servers as you said before you're literally competing with it it's something that's special to you like do you lose that a little bit when you get into professional side of things or do you still have it when you're competing at the top level i mean the ocean's just something like you said, whether I'm going out there or surfing or not, like I just love jumping in the ocean. Mm. It's got this magic feeling. It just kind of like, like you said, washes away your worries and just, it's just so cleansing. Mm. You kind of still by yourself. And then the environment obviously changes once the waves get big and it becomes a lot more intense, but it's just a never end. It's like a book that every time you open it, there's a new chapter. You have to like learn to read it. And that's where one thing that I love about becoming a good surfer is learning how to like use the ocean and the energy of the ocean which is so untamable but you can learn the patterns of it and you can kind of learn how to like use the rips well and how to obviously ride the waves and for me being at the obviously level that I can surf at mm. I quite I, like sometimes I look back and I didn't realize it through my career but now I go out there surfing and I'm like it's so cool being able to like these things that are like weather systems miles out to sea at the very last 30 seconds of their life you ride them it's like it's really cool when you think about it like that that it's like like the only person to ever ride a certain part of that wave and there's never going to be one exactly the same so it's like that's the exciting thing about the ocean it's like unpredictable you get to yeah you have to react every single time you're out there and as well obviously it can become quite dangerous so to learn how to use it to your advantage is yeah it's been a really cool thing like building a relationship with the ocean and just being really comfortable in the ocean because there's so many people are so scared of the ocean and sharks whereas for me it's just like that safe and happy place for me yeah well that's exactly the point like i make like i i love the ocean but i'm not confident like as in it as as a lot of people would be i didn't grow up on the beach um for me it was like a very humbling experience like going near the water like i nearly drowned at bondi one day like i tell this story a fair bit i was literally five meters from like the the shore and i was just stuck in a rip and i just couldn't get out and i was like i don't think there's a thing in the world that's more can make you feel as good but also make you feel as shit and it can make you feel as strong but make you feel as weak very vulnerable huh? yeah like it was just it was fucked it was easily one of the most scary situations i've ever been in my life and that's like it's funny because growing up around the ocean the, the thing that like causes the most struggle for people is the panic Mm. and i think it's got like a nice metaphor with life like if you struggle through it it's going to become harder and harder the more you can kind of just learn to like relax into it and think a bit clearer like if you get stuck in a rip straight away you just want to swim straight against it try and get to the shore but it's like take a breath 
check out the situation you're in and you swim across to get out of it rather than in. It's like counterintuitive sometimes, but it's like the situations you sometimes get in life where you just want to fight back against it, but you kind of need to just relax and then make a decision, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. <laughs> I was five metres from the shores on my board, <laughs> fucking panicking, and I was like, all right, I've got a one chance to get in, got off my board, took my leg rope off, which is like the dumbest thing I could yeah, have done. Yeah, isn't that funny? Threw how- it to the shore and then just paddle. Like I literally grabbed the sand with my like last like fingertips to like get in. And it's actually such a good analogy for life, isn't it? Like you're just feeling it and not panicking, going with it, staying calm. For me, like the biggest mm. thing, and I speak about this a fair bit with, with my own um, journey with like my own mental side of my life is like the – Reactiveness mm. is something that I'm always trying to get better at. Like I feel I'm a very emotional person. If something happens, it's like, all right, how do I, you know, how do I get back to where I want to be or how I want to feel or move things around? So for me, it's been like, you know, nearly a 24-hour rule of like just calm, just mm. sit down, make a decision, don't let the emotion like overturn, which is exactly what happened in the water. Yeah, I've been trying to like lean into that a lot lately as well and I heard something recently that's like don't react to situations, learn to respond. Mm. And the more I've been like thinking about that, for one, like a big way for me to kind of build that into my life has been through like meditation and mindfulness and just slowing down and anytime like something happens that you kind of want to bite at it, just trying to like take a breath and go, okay, what's really happening here? And so often it's like far less than we make up in our mind. Like our mind's so wild, the stories it tells us and the more we can try and respond rather than react to situations I've found is like so much healthier for me. So when was it, when was like, was there a moment or was there moments or was there a time where you weren't into this stuff? Like when did that time come that you were like, fuck, I actually want to start, you know, like my this next initiative and, and go forward with it? Or was it always I, just bubbling like over time? I, and the story, uh, it'll make sense. So I have quite a bit of, fa- not quite a bit of family history with mental illness, but like I lost an uncle when I was quite young to suicide yep. and then I'd watch my dad go through quite a few ups and downs with his mental health from a bit of depression, addiction to alcohol, So I'd always been quite aware that mental health might be something that I need to take care of. I was always quite forward thinking from a sports side on the mental side and realized that a lot of these skills that we're doing for the mental side of sport were just beneficial for my overall well-being. And then I never had the idea to start a business or anything around it. So throughout my 20s, like I said before, in my sports psych, or my sports psych said to me when I was really struggling with my identities, like, I want you to focus on finding your values, mate. So throughout my 20s, I read a lot of self-development books and kind of started to really just look around for different ways to think, to different ways to feel, because you just didn't learn that stuff at school. And I realized there's all these great ways to think and feel. And then, and that was just purely for my own benefit, for my mm. sport and for my overall well-being. And then my younger sister came home from school one day. I've got three beautiful sisters, two younger, one older, and we're all sitting around the dinner table as a family. And my younger sister was in her last year of school and was like, oh, I lost a friend to suicide today. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Kind of like we all do. Like, I wish I could do something about it. Two weeks later, she comes home, same thing around the dinner table and says another friend's taken his life. And I just remember the moment I was sitting there and I was like, I've lived the most amazing life. I've traveled the world as a surfer. I've been gifted so many incredible opportunities. What am I doing to like support these kids in my local community that are like taking their life? Like, how is our life so bad that they have to do that? And I was like, I want to try and do something about this. And I'd run a few surf camps for young kids. And in those weekend surf camps, one of the things I did was a mindfulness and visualization technique. And the parents all after gave me feedback that that was one of the favorites, the kind of the favorite thing the kids did. And then after my sister lost that second friend, my dad kind of said to me, he's like, mate, why don't you, like, you obviously work on your mental health quite a bit. You've got some great experiences. You've done so much. Why don't you maybe go and talk to some kids at 
like our local school, like where I went to school. And I was like, yeah, maybe I will. So I just reached out to my old school teacher and I was like, can I maybe come in and do a little talk about what helps me with my mental health if it helps a kid or two? Epic. And that was where the Good Human Factory was born really. And now like two years down the track, I've spoken to over 20,000 students and thousands of corporates as well, just around, yeah, kind of trying to discover what your values are, find those different ways to think. And yeah, kind of like I did, just be a bit more proactive around your mental health rather than waiting for that mental illness to creep up. Love it, man. Unbelievable. Inspirational. I want to go back right back to the start though, just because break that whole thing down. You said when you like the the big journey at the start is like identifying it for yourself because obviously it's like the airplane analogy, right? Like you gotta put your own mask on mm. first before you can help other people. And you were saying you're like going into that stage in your life where you wanted to sort of know yourself a bit better, reading books. What were what were some of the things you found most valuable in that time? Like was there a certain thing that kick started that for you? That resonated with you most? I think there was a, t- I remember it really clearly. There was this one time I was sitting at this Japanese restaurant with my manager at the time in California after an event and I'd just lost. And it was right when I was really struggling with this identity thing. Like, what are my parents going to think? Like, what are my sponsors going to think? And to be honest, it came from a place of fear that I didn't want to go and see a psychologist. I didn't really want to share my feelings. So I was like, maybe I can fix this problem. Not problem, but maybe I can give myself the best shot at this by self-educating. So I started to just pick up self-development books at the airport because I was doing so much traveling and just started to realize that, hey, wait, there's so many, inc- there's so much great information out here if I'm willing to take responsibility myself mm. and find it. So I went on this bit of a journey, kind of out of fear of wanting to not really open up myself, but realize that, hey, if I can slowly do things on a daily basis, it's going to take care of itself. And yeah, it just kind of started from reading books and just sort of understanding how many different great ways there are to think about the world and so many ways that I never got told at school. Like, it's just incredible. I feel like the different mindsets that so many incredible, whether it be athletes, business people, like, I just get so inspired by that. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was kind of where it started just from this moment of like, you know what? I'm probably too scared to go and see a psych, which I feel like a lot of people do, which I'm I'm a big supporter of telling people, please go and see a psychologist if you need to. But if you're really scared like I was or it kind of doesn't feel right for you, at least try and take some of the own steps yourself. Like so many people say they're struggling with mental health and mental illness, but it's like, is your diet right? Are you exercising? What are your relationships like? How's your financial situation? Like there's all these different boxes that all come under the umbrella of how it affects your mental health yet a lot of us kind of go like, oh, chemical imbalance, like I need blah, blah, blah. So I just kind of took responsibility myself and that's been my journey. But I, I go up and down all the time. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm, mate, it's it's really interesting the whole time I'm listening to you speak and I love this um, and I hope this comes across right and I mean it in like the most nicest way possible to, to, to everyone, me. to all of us. Yeah. No, to all of us. It's like we're not special. Mm. Like we all have – everyone has something wrong. Like your story, I could literally copy that and it's exactly the same as mine. Mm. Like identity, family history of mental health, people, you know, struggling with mental health through their life, wanting to do this, wanting to open up conversations. My pivotal moment was like, as embarrassing as this is, I used to just like YouTube uh, manifestation and YouTube, like my sister sent me a link of like Jim Carrey, uh, like, you know, trying to be, you know, get things in life because I just wasn't forging the way that I wanted to go. And that's where the spiral started. Of that- watching like YouTube videos of Jim Carrey, like talking about um, wanting to be the best actor in the world and wanting to feel better about himself. I didn't even realize this until you just brought that up. One of the things that kind of started to push me in that direction was my sister, Chloe, who's married to Fisher. She, I was going through this weird breakup with this girlfriend at the time and I was mm-hmm. in Mexico. I remember it super clearly. It's a place called Acapulco. And 
I was really struggling with kind of my mental health because of this breakup. And she's like, watch this movie, The Secret. I don't know if you've seen yeah, it. I, yeah, I've read And that was kind of yeah. the first. <laughs> yeah, I watched it. I feel like that's everyone's gateway yeah, drug into like. Gateway. Yeah. yeah, so I watched it and it was funny. I watched it with my friend Wade Carmichael who I was traveling with and he was kind of like, oh, whatever. And, <laughs> and we watched it and then I started to feel a bit better about the relationship stuff and he watched it and he's like not really into that stuff. But then he ended up winning this massive event that we're at. And at the end of it, he's like, Dude, that was all from like watching that movie, that watching mm. The Secret, and I was just manifesting me standing on the tr- podium with the trophy. And three days later, I was standing on the podium with the trophy, and I was like, "Well, I'm glad you got something out of it as well." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my gateway into it. My sister recommending, yeah, The Secret. I I didn't really think about that, but that was one of the first exposures yeah. to these different understandings of ways of thinking. Really. Yeah, the um the the secret stuff, and for, for anyone who that doesn't know much about manifesting i you know i think it's it's a really good intro into to this stuff i wouldn't say like build your life on it but like you've got to be really well-rounded like we said in, in everything open-minded and curious open-minded in everything in yep. everything there's not one thing that's going to work for everyone yeah but this as i said it, it's something that i still use to this day and Me too. We, to be honest with manifesting it's like i think it's a trick um i think it's like i think in a way it just shows you things that you could have done anyway, but it just mm. makes you identify them more. Like I was reading this book. After that, I got this other book and I've got to get the name. It was called like X2 or something like that. It was called like X2. And it had all these challenges in the book. It was like, all right, for the next day, um, like manifest blue cars into your life. And I was like driving around. Just every fucking car was blue. Every car was blue. And it was like all these blue cars were like coming. And I was like, oh, my God, this is cool. I was like, well, maybe there's just blue cars, which – they're probably blue yeah. cars. And then the next day I was like, you will see 12 white butterflies. And I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to see 12 white butterflies. Man, I saw 12 white butterflies the next day. No And way. I think like we can get we can get caught up in going, I'm manifesting stuff, which we are, but it's like we're actually just being more present and identifying mm. what is actually in front of us and what is available. And if you want something, you actually can bring it by just focusing on it. Yeah. Like I would have never gone out and just focused on 12 butterflies before, but- I saw them because mm. I was there. It's like I would never focus on a happy, healthy relationship consciously, but if you actually really think about it, you'll bring that into your life. Mm. Like it's it's really cool. So it's like it's a bit of like it's like are you manifesting or are you just really being present and bringing the things and drawing them in that are that were already there, but yeah. you just needed to get them. Yeah, I, like I've done heaps of not like in particular. Like I don't write down. I don't do these big yeah. vision board manifesting. I just kind of like, and it's not even an expectation. I'm just like. Yeah, like that'll happen. Like, for Trust instance, it. one like I do a little bit of work with Apple with some stuff. I help them with like a surf app. And then as like a speaker, I was like, imagine how good it would be if I could get Apple as a client. So I started to think in my head like, oh, I'd love to work with Apple. And then they – I was like, I'll, I'll do it for free for them. I'd kind of been building the courage to pitch to them. And then they hit me up and they're like, hey, we're doing a conference at on the Gold Coast with Telstra. Like we want you to come and help us do like a speech on – a keynote with like the head of Apple health and fitness for this conference. And it was like, I'd been like building the courage and thinking about it for so long. And then it just came to me anyway. And I was yeah. just like, huh, like it is, I've got so many good stories like that. And I had a friend of mine on my podcast, Chris soul, who's a manifestation and uh, meditation coach. Wow. And has these sick retreats. I'm going to actually do a good human retreat in Bali next year. Maybe she come. I'd love to. He's a legend, but he's got these couple of stories that like, you got to go listen to it on my podcast. Monday. It's ridiculous. His manifestation stories, like this thing about a white motorbike. I won't say anything more, but basically manifested a white motorbike in Bali into his life. He's like, I've never seen one. And basically someone like ended up giving him one. It was crazy, but anyway. I love that. Crazy. Well, while we're on the top, I feel like I've got to tell you my yeah, story now. Me, it's fucked. Go. After I started watching these like videos, um, 
on YouTube. It was like just the shittest YouTube edit like I've ever seen. It was like Jim Carrey, Oprah, um, like just all these like A-list like Hollywood celebrities doing it. And I was like, you know what, fuck it. For the next 30 days, I'm going to try this out and just like pretend it. So I basically manifest – this is I've just been delisted from Carlton. really wanted to move to um, – to I was like, because you got to be clear. You can't be with manifesting. Technically, they yeah. say like you've got to be really clear on what you want. You can't mm. just be like I want to do very vague things. Otherwise, you don't know where to go. Yeah. I was like, I want to move to Sydney. I want to play for the Giants, um, and I want to get you know back at another chat in the AFL and move out of Melbourne. Easter, four days of outdoor adventures, work in the garage or doing stuff around the home or even in the garden. You got to love that. Bring on the jobs and pile them up. 101 long weekend jobs ready to tackle. You could be in the outdoors, putting your four-wheel drive to the test, tearing down an internal war or maybe putting a new one up, or even repurposing an old wine barrel for an outdoor table. Whatever the task over Easter, Trojan Tools are up for the job. Trojan Tools. Quality tools at DIY prices backed by a lifetime warranty. Available in store or online at Bunnings Warehouse. Trojan. Tools built tough. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Life is full of ups and downs. I've found over the last few years, talking to someone, especially a psychologist, has been a really helpful tool for me to make sense of my thoughts. I try to keep it a consistent part of my life because I love being proactive with my mental health. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy provider in the world. BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. If you're busy like everyone else these days, the good news is it's entirely online. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash dill. That's betterhelp.com slash dill. B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash dill, D-Y-L. The next day, my phone called. Like, no clubs keen at this stage. Like, literally no clubs. No, the next day, the phone called. It was my manager said, like, Giants want to fly you up and have a chat. And I was like, that was fucking weird, right? The next day, uh, like the week later, I go up there, have the chat with them. They say, we're not going to take you in the, in the rookie draft. Um, oh, sorry, in the delicious for agent. And I was like, oh, you know, that's fucking shit. And the whole time people are like, what are you doing next year? In my head, I'm like, well, I'm going to the Giants. Like I'd already committed to that for mm. 30 days. I was pretending that I was already there um, and, you know, that it had already happened. And then um, – they called me, said, we're not going to take you. And I was like, nah, I reckon you will. Like, I reckon you'll take me. And like, it was like my said that of, I said it? that no. to him. I was like, I just said it because I was like I in will. this weird ass time. And he's like, okay, whatever. He's like, well, they just told me they weren't. I was like, I reckon you'll take me in the rookie draft. Long story short, took me in the rookie draft like a week later, um, moved up to Sydney. And without that moment, like I actually have no idea where I'd be now, like because I was living in Melbourne, had no fucking idea what I was doing, didn't have any skills, didn't have any like life experience or anything. So that was my big manifesting story. That, That's cool. Um, it's like yeah, it it just comes up in different. I think it's just like putting your energy and your thoughts towards something that you want and mm. making sure your actions help you get to that direction as well. But yeah, like unless you if you can't think it, it's not going to happen. Hundred percent. 100%. So cool. So the Good Human Factory, you started, you were just doing some um, stuff at schools? Is that like that? Where yeah, we were? the, the yeah. initial was just like, you know what, I just want to go and share some of my skills with kids yeah. at schools. I, The idea actually, I, I had a really cool school teacher, this guy Woody, who I was like, mate, can I come have a beer with you at the pub and just have a chat to you about an idea I've got? So we're like, yeah, went and had a 
chat at the pub and sort of said, I just want to come and talk to these kids. This just happened with my sister at her school. Maybe I can have a chat to the kids. It might help one of them. And he's like, mate, for one, he was like a bit of a mentor to me in like year 11 and 12 around business. He was a hustler. I had like um, first aid course business and all this stuff. So he kind of opened my mind to like the entrepreneur life too. Mm. And he was like, he kind of exposed me to like, mate, there's good money to be made in speaking at schools too. So that was this initial like, yep, this is where I'm going next. I'm going to build this. But at, the, at this time I'm working like as a tradie for like 50 hours a week to get to my next surf events because I don't have a sponsor for the back half of my career since mm. I was like 23. So I didn't have the time to really do this. I didn't have any money to start it, but it was just like I just want to go and help people. So the teacher, that Woody guy actually was like, you should just call it like, you're a good human. Like you should just call it like the good human factory. So he actually came up with the name because it's funny. People like <laughs> think I came up with the name like, and call myself this good human. I'm like, I actually didn't even come up with the name. Anyway, so it just started with, I went in because I didn't have much time. For the first year, it was like, I might've done like three workshops and I was very naive at the start. I was like, oh, I'll just call schools and tell them, hey, I'm in this pro surfer. Can I come and speak to the kids about mental health? But I look back and I'm like, it was so naive. Like people are like, who are you? And exact same with speaking to Hugh about his story. He was like, I should have offered my workshop for free to a lot more places to build the credibility. So the first year and a half, or first year, I probably did like three workshops and I look back and I was so terrible, like so average. But I started, like yeah. I look back and terrible. Whereas now I look at the presentation I do and the hour keynote I run and I'm confident to get up in front of everyone and trust myself because back then I did have a lot of imposter syndrome. Like who am I to come and talk to kids about mental health? I'm not a psychologist. Like, but I also knew that the stuff that I done that I talk about has profoundly changed my life. And if one kid can pick up something from my story, then I've won. And yeah, for the first year, like I said, it was working 50 hours, getting like little opportunities to come and speak to like a local footy club that was like through a friend of a friend. And then, yeah, it was kind of when COVID hit in 2020 that the business really and like the kind of direction of it all really started to take off. All my surf comps got cancelled. I moved from Sydney up to Byron Bay. I was around quite a few friends who were like entrepreneurial and had some good mindsets around business growth and yeah, that's when it went from just uh, me speaking at schools to building my podcast out to doing... um merch to doing it's kind of gone through weird stages i did like mental health tips i used to reach out to people with big profile for them to give a mental health tip because it was awesome to see everyone has a different tip mm. and we can learn from everyone because what works for me isn't going to work for everyone so the more that we can be open to encouraging people just to share what works for them somebody might be inspired by that and pick up that skill so there's been all these different stages but yeah once i moved to byron that was when it was like all right i've got the time I was kind of, my accountant was like, all right, your surf comps are finished. You can either keep being a tradie and save some money for the next six months, or you can go and get the job keeper 750 a week for the next couple of months and build the good human factory. So as much as COVID was terrible for a lot of people, for me, it allowed me the space and the time and the kind of backboard of money of 750 a week to lean into building this thing. And yeah, still it took me like probably until the last couple months in 2022 to really start building momentum and have the credibility to get into schools because it's hard to get into a school to do a talk because for one obviously it's a school you've got to get like a lot of trust and have that credibility but yeah, yeah it's been hard just to build the network and the contacts but now it's just starting to take off which has been yeah really special mate you're doing an incredible job i look at my first PowerPoint presentation. I used to do it. I now I've upgraded to Canva yeah. and I'm like, I'm moving over to Keynote now with my Apple stuff. 
but the first one was on like PowerPoint, like basically looked like the big Les show, like Microsoft Paint <laughs> version, like, and just like the dodgiest, like worst graphics and like the content was just average. I hadn't like done any form of public speaking, had no coaching, had no real idea, but I was just passionate about what I was yeah. talking about. So it came through and I, I had good reports from back then, but Looking back now, it was like average as all hell. It wasn't a complete package and there's no way anyone should have paid me, which they really didn't at the start. Yeah. Whereas now I'm confident in my ability. And a, the, a big thing for me that I started to do was take that, like get feedback from everything yep. and take feedback on. I think so many people when they start something can't take on criticism and it's hard. And I, through my surf career, I kind of struggled with it, especially through my 20s. My dad would always give me advice and I would like push back against it. Whereas now I kind of look for feedback everywhere. Any sort of criticism, I'm like, how can I learn from this? And starting a business, you get so many things wrong and you have to learn to like make mistakes and not get disheartened and keep moving forward. So that's what I've kind of learned with the workshops. Like I'm like, I don't know how I'm, how to do this. I don't expect to know how to do this. And uh, this quote that's kind of got me through it is the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. Mm. I'm not waiting for that feeling of confidence because so many people don't start because they're like, all right, when I feel confident, then I'll start. It's like, it's never going to come. It comes through the act of doing it. And now I get up on stage in front of thousands of people and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm a pro surfer with no like education in mental health and I'm a keynote speaker for big corporate groups now, but it's just because I'm passionate. I care about what I talk about. And if I get it wrong, I don't really, like, if I stuff it up, I don't really care. It's like, I know I'm trying to do it for the right reasons and I haven't got the expectation on myself to do well i've just got the expectation to try my absolute best and if it doesn't go my way it's all good all i can do is try my best mm. it's authentic and that that comes across it's coming across today and this is who you are i'm going to refer to jonah Oliver again because it was exactly what you said people stress a lot and we stress a lot i stress a lot about confidence it's actually competence mm. is what you need to be you need to be competent in what you're doing once you're competent, then the confidence comes yeah. exactly what you you said before you know that feedback you're saying you lean into feedback have you ever got any like really strong feedback where you're like, fuck, that's, that hurts, but I need to action it. Like, is there been something that stands out in the business journey for that? Um, it, it's an interesting one because I'm like learning that I need to have people around me who can give me that sort of feedback because I get yeah. so many pats on the back. People are so like stoked with what I'm doing. Obviously it's, you know what I mean? Like feel socially good to support people supporting mental health, but I've had, like, I've probably, every feed, every workshop I do, I get people to scan a QR and take them to a feedback form. So I've got, like, thousands of data points now, and I've been lucky, man. I reckon yeah. I've had, like, 99% of really positive feedback and, like, the few bits that, and they, this is the funny thing, the few bits that are, like, negative, you kind of want to bite at, but I just take them on, but you kind of have to filter it out. Like, some of the... No, the negative isn't even that negative. Some people are like, oh, it's a bit boring. It was too long. And But you're getting feedback from year seven students. Yeah, yeah. It's like you come and talk to any year seven student for an hour about mental health and it's like you're going to lose a couple of them. But then like a couple corporates have been like, oh, less. I put a few like podcast snippets from guests like neuroscience and stuff I've had on to, that talk about gratitude and mindfulness. So I chuck their snippets in to give a bit of credibility and people are like, oh, there's too many videos. And I'm like, I'll take that on board for the other 90%. They enjoy that. Yeah, so it's like yeah, you kind yeah. of got to realize you're never going to please everyone yeah. and just, yeah, take on the take on the like feedback without the getting down on the yourself, personal, which we yeah. still kind of do. But I've been lucky because of what I'm doing, people are like, 
it, like it's very hard to kind of come at me and make me look bad, which I feel a lot of like weird guilt sometimes. I'm like, I'm so far from perfect and I get so many things wrong, but people are just really supportive of what I'm doing. That's awesome, man. That's great. I think it's like you said, you just need to be happy with it yourself and know mm. that you're doing the right thing. Um, when you said you started the pod, uh, you started um, the business in COVID, that's like super interesting because it's like a, a time of stress. It's a time of a lot of uncertainty, but a lot of beautiful things can sort of flourish when you're under that stress. And I think um, for me, I don't claim to have um, done what we've you know, been able to do um, lightly because for me, similar to you, like I didn't actually have another option. Mm. So I think it's really hard um, in a decision-making for like someone listening to this now. It's actually harder when you have options on to change your career path or do what you want to do because you've got a good job. You don't necessarily hate it, but it's not necessarily what you want to do. Um, and it's hard to pivot, you know, you've got bills, you might have family, you might have kids. It's like, well, what the fuck? You can't just quit and like start mm. something different. But I think the message that hopefully um, you agree with and I'm um, not telling your story here, but sort of mine as well, if it's the same one, he's like from like those post-traumatic, uh, what is it? Post-traumatic stress equals post-traumatic growth. Mm. And it's like when you got sort of like lost sponsors, went to Byron, spoke to your accountant, felt like the world was sort of caving in, but you look at it as an opportunity to go, well, fuck, let's just go for it then. You don't have an yeah. option to fail. Well, it was like, do I want to be the victim of my story or do I want to be the hero? It's yeah. like as much as some of us hate to admit it, it is a bit of a choice. And I, to be honest, it was like because all my surf comps got cancelled, it was the first time I'd actually had the freedom to not have to go and do like be training full time and getting ready to go overseas. So it allowed me some space to do that. But people like I've been talked to this, like people have asked me this recently, like, oh, has there been any times that you've wanted to stop? And I didn't realize, but there's actually been like a lot of doubt around me for a long time. Like my accountant's always been like, oh, like, are you sure you want to like set up, like, are you really doing this? Like, and I didn't realize, but now looking back, I'm like, wait, people were kind of like doubting, but I just had a hundred percent, like, just because I'm so passionate about what I'm doing and I know that it's helping a lot of people. I've a hundred percent just been like one foot in front of the other, like not even thinking that it might not work because I'm like, if I can continue to move towards the future with like a positive mindset and like continue to build on what I'm doing, then it's only going to like, if I fail, I've just learned a lot of stuff, but mm. yeah, I just didn't, I've just never really looked at it like I'm going to fail because yeah, as long as I put out something every single day, that's making somebody's life better, which now with what I do from the podcast to my community, I've built, there's people getting help every day. So it's like, that's what I set out to do. So whether I do it for a million or a hundred people a day or one person a day, then I'm living to my purpose kind of thing, which feels awesome. great. That's cool, man. I'm thinking, I'm like sort of reflecting about that on myself. And I think I wish I could agree that that's my mentality. And without thinking about it too much, I think I do a lot of stuff out of fear. I think I just act on things like, because I'm scared to fail, if that makes sense. Mm. So like, I'll, But in a way it makes me work harder. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to sort of articulate. Like it's a, it's a hard one to really break down without having a psychologist in the room yeah. to do it. But it's, um, <laughs> I'll tell you a topic yeah, that I reckon you'll enjoy yeah. to talk about that because yeah. I just see a lot of similarities between myself and you. Is at the end of like your kind of career as an athlete, trying to like use what you've learned and piggyback into the next yeah. thing. Because this is something I've been super inspired by what you've done and listening to quite a lot of obviously your podcast and your story is post-career like all right how can I use the network the connections I have to go into the media industry and learn and then obviously you've created the empire that you've created now off the back of that where so many athletes finish their career and kind of get a bit lost 
and I feel like I did that quite well, quite similar to yeah. you, is like, all right, what have I learned? How can I use what I've learned and put it into my next part of my career? Yeah. And that's where like so many people wait and get like stuck and lost because their identity and they don't learn that while they're an athlete isn't just them being an athlete. Yeah. Well, you can be told something so many times and until it clicks with you, you're never going to take it on board. And, mm. You know, I had I had people telling me this shit for six, seven, eight years until like finally I was like, oh, I've got to do something. And people were like, yeah, man, fucking been telling you that like the whole time. So I think you've got to have good people around you firstly to be able to like put yourself in that space. But yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I think it comes back to self-awareness. Self-awareness. Too. It's a massive thing on self-awareness of just like, yeah, being self-aware of what you're doing, yeah. where you're at, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And I think um, when I finished and started this whole thing, like I'd never have dreamt that we'd get to like where we are now. But um, yeah, I think that it was out of like nearly in a way I say this, like I, I was so passionate about it that I wanted like, and I had a bit of an ego that like, because like my footy career probably didn't go the way I wanted to. I was like, I need to make this like, you know, I need to learn everything from that and then go into this and dominate it in this way. You might have been similar to me. I've kind of always had this like feeling that I'm going to be successful no matter what, whether it be like, I don't think it's ego, but I think it's just optimism. Like whatever happens, I'm going to work it out. Mm. And that's kind of led me to like my business. I'm just like, like I was kind of going on before, I've never really felt like it wasn't going to work. And mm. even if it doesn't work and it fails next week, I feel like I've learnt so much that I'll take it into my next step. Yep. So... No, yeah. I, haven't, I, I love it, mate. Yeah, it's really, I like that. I really like that. <laughs> um, the part that I wanted to talk about now was your pod. Yeah. Talk us through it, man. Like, how did that start? Who was your first step? Talk me through some of your, like, I think the blessing that I don't really get to speak to too many other podcasters, like, what was um, the initiative of it? Um, and obviously, I think we know that from talking today, but what have been some of your favorite episodes? What have been some of your biggest learnings on that front? I mean, first of all, one of the best things I've learned from podcasting, and I spoke to uh, Dan Gorringe, obviously your good mate. Mm. I had him on mine recently. The episodes, I mean, it might be out when this comes out, but what we both kind of reflected on is the best thing about it is I've learned to have good conversations with people. I've learned how to sit and listen to somebody and I've learned how to communicate in a way that isn't distracted by a phone or something else. And that's been the thing that I've loved the most about the podcast is mm. It's like when you're at 2 a.m. sitting around a fire with your mates and you actually get to sit and open up. It's like giving people the space to do that has just built all of my relationships, let alone the people I do the podcast with. It's allowed me, I just feel like, become a better listener. Um, but, yeah, the podcast initially... Sorry, just on that because I love that point. Yeah. When do you ever have a conversation with a mate with no phones and you just talk for like an hour and a half straight? And actually ask them about their story and yeah. curiously sit there and listen. Like I've, I had one of my best mates on, his name's Ned and he's a photographer and he's like been one of my best mates for the last three or four years. But my podcast is generally like real chronological, like what their upbringing was like. Yep. What, and I just got to learn so much about one of my best friends that I didn't know, which just strengthened my friendship with yep. him. And that was because of this podcast chat. And I'm like, encourage people, like sit down, put your phone away and say to your mate, like, all right, what was your upbringing like? What was some challenges? Because a lot of our friends in our adult life, we didn't go to school with. And it's like, what, what, how'd you go at school? Or do you go through? And you start to like realize why people are the way they are. Mm. And it can just build so much more empathy. But yeah, the pod for me was just, for one, I just was aware of the network I had. I was very lucky, obviously the surfing community. I had deep ties into a lot of my friends who were athletes and whatnot. But then also through my sister and Fisher, I have like quite a pretty deep network through that way. My best friend, Alex Hayes. So I kind of have like all these different and then different extreme athletes in different sports. 
So I kind of started with this idea, all right, I want to do a podcast just to talk to people, to learn their skills, learn what they've gone through, because I feel like by hearing people's stories, we can pick up different things and then try and add it to our life. And I was obviously very aware that what I talk about might only be good for 1% of people, but if I can continue to talk to people smarter than me who have lived different lives than me, then I can learn from them, but then also my listeners can. Mm. So the podcast story is actually pretty funny. I... I'll try and do it as quick as I can, but it's a pretty cool like story because I used to be with Podcast One and listen. I got quite lucky at the start. I was still early stages Good Humor Factory, right when I'm like doing my PowerPoint average presentation. <laughs> and this one kid named Cal, he um, kind of hit, he actually met my mum and my sister at a surf comp at the beach one day. And my mum was like, this kid really wants to meet you. And I was like, oh, like, I'm not at a point where I can employ anyone. I'm like, I, don't, I haven't even made a dollar to the business yeah. yet. So we get coffee and have a chat and he's like, I just want to help you, mate. And he's like, oh, I'm actually good family friends with blah, 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 who's the head of um, Southern Cross Osteria. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. And he's like, he's, we can have a business meeting with him in the city. And I was like, oh, epic. I'll bring in like my business plan for the Good Human Factory. Thought I was like, knew what I was doing. I looked back <laughs> and it was so bad. And um, so we go in and have a chat to him. And in my sort of business pitch was like, and I want to do a podcast because I've got this network. And because of like my sister and Fish, I kind of put on the list of people I could get, like Chris Hemsworth, all these big DJs, and I haven't got any of them. <laughs> so I tell this guy and he's like, oh, we actually own Podcast One, which is what Listener is now. And uh, he was like, let me introduce you to the head of Podcast One. So I got lucky and got my foot in the door. And they're like, yeah, we love it. Um, we'll get you a producer. We'll... Um, Wow. let you borrow some equipment and I was just going to Hawaii for some surf comps I was like look I'm going to be around all these surfers um, it's probably good to start recording they're like sweet go over record a bunch of episodes so I recorded like 10 episodes with a bunch of surfers in Hawaii would have been like 2019 and then I get back give all the episodes to my producer and that then we like sat on them for like six months we didn't release them till like the May and I recorded them in November which I didn't really like because I like it makes it very hard. It makes obviously I was trying to make them as evergreen as possible, but I'm talking about these events in Hawaii and it so it was good with them. We did like twenty episodes and I really enjoyed the sort of start having a producer teaching me kind of a bit of structure on how to ask the right questions, how to bring stuff out of people. So I got that little bit of help. But we were doing fortnightly episodes and I was like, I'm not growing. Like I didn't really have much to do with the analytics and stuff and I was like, I want to go to weekly and they're like, We can't really facilitate that and they were legends. They kind of just let me go. So I was with them for like a year and a half and would do like a few episodes and then I was lazy and didn't have the accountability and would stop for like two months and then it took a long time to sort of get going and then really this year, like 2022, once I took it over myself, I was like, all right, I want to go to weekly episodes because I do have such a great range of guests I can get on. So I went to weekly. I started doing all the editing and everything myself, um, which has been like hectic only up until like a week, two weeks ago to have done all the editing and stuff myself. But Went from, yeah, one guest episode a week and then I've built this Instagram community called The 1% Club where every morning I send a guy to 10-minute meditation. Every night I write three things I'm grateful for in these group chats and there's like okay. 900 members now. It's all around giving 1% of your day to your mental health, 14 minutes. So 10-minute meditation, four minutes of gratitude at night, there's 1% of your day for your mental health. So I turned that into a podcast where I read out a few of the people's gratitudes each week. And then also because I'm always doing guest episodes, I don't really have a platform to share topics that I'm sort of really into. So on that Wednesday episode, it is now I talk about like a topic that I find curious or a resource that I've found really helpful for me. So I read the gratitudes out. I talk about something that I enjoy and it's just a short episode. Same thing watching you like putting your minis and as you realize that podcasting can become a business, having extra episodes means more numbers, more yeah. episodes you can get sponsors on. 
So I did that and then I actually now do three episodes a week um, and do a Monday episode where I had a neuroscientist on who we talked about the effects of all kinds of things on the brain and we talked about how alcohol affects the brain. And I was like, you know what, screw it, I'll take a year off because we talked about all the negative effects. So I just pledged it on the podcast and then I was like, I'll take a year off and I'll document it and I'll talk about it to my audience. And now it's my most listened to episode. If I do like a five or eight minute episode once a week and just recap basically what I've got up to, the times that I've gone out but not drank and how it made me feel, how I've kind of felt and the changes I've seen in my life from not drinking. So yeah, now I do three episodes a week, but it's- um. It's been fun and I've been editing and doing it all myself for like the last eight months while doing the workshops, while building my merch. Like there's so many different pillars in my business, but it's um it's been really fun just learning and growing. But best guest, you asked Mate, me that. Firstly, just Sorry. have a think about that. That is unbelievable. Like I, I know how much work goes into it and I think a lot of people that maybe start podcasts, you, you think you're just talking to a mic, but, you know, the planning, the writing, the editing, the posting, the, you know, like the amplification of the episode, like all that shit that, is not the fun stuff um like sitting down and talking that's the easiest part of the actual yeah. job is to do that oh it, that's the, the best part but up yeah. until like a month ago i hadn't had a sponsor either so i've been done like thousands of hours of work for free yeah but not for, for free it's because i know for one like i said before it's just great for i've mm. become such a better listener i've been able to have amazing conversations with people who I wouldn't have been able to without the podcast. I think it's yeah. the most incredible networking skill. And I'm sure you've met so many people who you'll call friends now, exactly like I sitting yeah. here right now because of the podcast. So as much as it's now getting to a point where there's opportunity for financial incentive, it's been more so about the networking yeah. and just learning from people. Mate, it's the best net. I, I didn't realize it until literally recently. I was like, I'm just making connections with some of the coolest fucking people that I've ever met. Like mm. that's, I, I just sat down and I was like, this is fucked. It's actually cool. But yeah. I didn't make a dollar off the pod, my podcast for the first like two and a half years. Me too. Edited for the first two years and it was fucking <laughs> woeful. Like some of the worst edits like you've ever seen. Um, but yeah, you just got to get started and learn it. And it's good to be able to um, to do those things too. Like, you know, if something fucks up, you want to know how to actually control yeah. it. It makes you – I actually worked in radio as well and learned yeah. how to produce um, in radio and that made me a better host mm. because if you can produce a show, it's just going to make you better at actually hosting a show. So yeah. getting skills of like editing, hosting, producing, it's all just intertwines and makes you a better like well-rounded person. Yeah, absolutely. Just understanding all the aspects and I, I just like – love being curious too like for me it's like listening to other podcasts seeing mm. who are doing what right seeing what works for them and just like pulling the best parts from everyone and just making it your own but yeah yeah the amount of people like cool people i've got to talk to is like it's so epic like i've had like lane beachley and tom carroll on wow. who are like world champion surfers some of the greatest of all time i've had a whole bunch of like the young top surfers which is cool talking about their stories but starting to i like exactly like you it starts with like the athletes but then I feel like me and you are very similar in the way that like you love talking to like your MMRs, your Hugh, yep. people where you can like really extract information from them. So I've had people um, like this lady, Nicole Vignola, who's a neuroscientist from over in the UK. And I just like liked her a couple of Instagram posts and she didn't even have that many followers when I started following her and reached out and I was like, can you jump on? And then I put a few TikToks out that blew up from her and then like, a month later, she started putting out some cool content and she went from like 4,000 followers to like 400,000 followers. Oh and she's God. like one of those neuroscientist chicks who like people like love her content now, which has been epic. So like talking to people like that fascinate me the most and like friends who are like meditation coaches, sleep experts, yeah. all these different things. Like I love the athlete stories and the resilient stories and overcoming stuff. 
but talking to experts has been like so cool. Like um, my like sponsor now, a rapper, this brain function drink, they have like, they're like a neuroscience um, black current drink. They're incredible. Shout out. Shout out, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> but so they have their lead neuroscientist, this guy, Professor Andrew Scully, who's like ranked third out of 11,000 um, neuroscientists when it comes to like nootropics and caffeine. Fucking and hell, yeah. And they like linked me to talk to him about the neuroscience behind their product. And I'm just like, it's so crazy that I could talk to these people who are the epit- like the very tops of their field. And I'm just pro surface, got this mental health business, but I get to like extract what I want to chat to them about. And then all these other people around the world listen to my conversation and learn all the information too. Like it's just, it's such a cool thing, podcasting. It's awesome, man. It's, it's, uh, yeah, that's, to be honest, it's like, and especially having your own show in a way, it's a little bit selfish because you're doing it for yourself, but then you're, you're really doing it for everyone, which yeah. is, which is cool. Exactly. You're a voice for a reason. Um, one that I actually listened to, um, you did was one about the steroids. Oh yeah. Jackson Tippett. That was fucked. Crazy story. Yeah, really yeah. open guy. Yeah. Good it was just crazy. Jackson. I saw a few of the snippets and I was like, fuck, I tune into this. But yeah, basically about a guy that was like addicted, addicted to steroids. Is that fair to say? Or yeah, just overused, were, overused yeah, over- and like almost went to jail a couple, like, yeah. Yeah, just basically got hell into the gym scene and had all the tats and was just super ego driven and steroids and yeah, it was it was it's an interesting Hectic episode story. and it's yeah. really cool. He's turned his life around. He does like a lot of podcasts now. I have to link you up with him yeah. if you get him on. He's that a good was dude. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just so interesting hearing how different all of our and that's what he said to me. He was like, "Man, you wouldn't realize, but the gym scene like." 60 or 70% of people are take like maybe those numbers might be wrong, but for him, like the people he was around, he was like, it's so common and like it's unspoken of. And it's like these, like all these things that in industries are swept under the rug when people can be open about it. Yeah. And when people come on podcasts and like get to sit and really have a conversation, it's not like an interview. It's literally just talking to them about their life Crazy. and like, yeah, what they've learned through those tough times. And then I've had so much feedback from that podcast that it's helped people and made them maybe not take steroids or made them understand the effects rather than just grabbing it and giving it a try. Yeah. Fuck. I can't say I've ever contemplated it, but I it, neither. It, to me, it doesn't even not, cross my yeah. mind. Like, yeah, but for some just people, just with my rig, it just it's too far gone. Um, <laughs> give us your top three if you'd recommend. Like, top three recommend um, recommended of your apps to listen to for today. If people okay. to check them out. Top three of my apps. I'm trying to think. My sister's episode. Yeah, my sister Chloe Fisher. She's um, she's incredible. She's been through a whole bunch of gnarly stuff. Yep. So. Her episode, I think it's my most listened to episode. She's awesome. Um, oh, put me on the spot. I oh, know it's a hard one. It's a hard one because yeah. it's just so I can't even remember sometimes some of them. Um, oh, my very first episode with this guy called Ryan Cullinan is a pro surfer. He lost his mum and his dad within a year, mm-hmm. and it's just like a crazy story. So different my podcast back then to how it is now, mm-hmm. but his was a really cool episode. Um, who else? Top three, top three. Tom Carroll's episode's really cool too because he yeah. opens up about addiction. He yeah. has like this crazy story about like meeting Nelson Mandela. I've but, seen a lot of his stuff on like series and I've never- His bit, book's incredible, yeah, but he um he like won his second world title and then was um meant to go to South Africa for surfing and it was when the apartheid was happening geez. and- he boycotted it and he didn't even mean, and he, it was epic because he had this real open conversation with me about it. He was like, I didn't mean to make this big political statement. I just didn't agree with what was going on. So I told the surf league, I'm not coming to those events in South Africa. And then it turned into this huge 
media story, like pro world champion surfer boycotting against like the South African government with what's happening. And Nelson Mandela got a hold of his story and Bob Hawke was the prime minister at the time. And I guess it's a bit different that athletes and prime ministers are a bit friendlier to each other back yeah. then. So him and Bob Hawke had like dinner and Nelson Mandela came to Australia. <laughs> yeah. And Nelson Mandela came to Australia on a tour like the year after. And he's like, I got to have dinner with Nelson and um, Bob and a few people. And Nelson Mandela like shook my hand and said like, thank you so much, Tom. Like people like you who showed support like you did are the reason why like the apartheid movement was... Ooh. goosebumps yeah. hey? so like getting to have that conversation and then he like went through like crazy addiction to like drugs and stuff and he talks about that and meditation saving his like just a really crazy story so yeah tom carroll's he's a two-part episode the only one i've ever done two-part um but yeah he's is an incredible story too Fuck yeah. actually i'll give you one more and i gotta get him on your pod ben tudhope who's um australian paralympian of the year he just won it. He got bronze in the Paralympics and he's an ambassador for me with the Good Human Factory and one of my really good friends. But just a really good eye-opener around disability and the way, not to treat people, but I know you're good friends with Dylan Alcott as well. Yep. Just I think being a bit more curious and open-minded to people who live really different lives to us and and listening to their stories and learning from their stories. So I think he was episode 50, Ben Tudhope. He's a great one to go check out. Awesome. We'll definitely check that out. That's huge. So good. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to link him up with you. He's um, He just got Paralympian of the Year, so he's like, he's a legend. He's got cerebral palsy and, yeah, just I've been hanging out with him. He's went, I stayed with him in the snow for a, a week, a few weeks ago, and we um, hiked up to the top of Mount Kosciuszko together, just the two of us. And, uh, yeah, he's a legend. Unbelievable. Fucking Sick dude. Unbelievable. Mate, that's so good. I've really enjoyed today. Um, learned so much. So good to finally meet you. It feels like I fucking, I've literally known you for years. <laughs> What's next? What's next for you? What do you want to get out of the rest of the year? What's Where's the vision going? Have you got anything cool on the horizon? Oh, I've got a bunch of really exciting stuff coming up, actually. I'm in this crazy transition where my business is like potentially about to scale. I've had this guy meet me recently just kind of through like manifesting or just like by open to opportunity mm. that was like the head creative director for Yeezy for Kanye and Victoria's Secret Fashion Show and he – He's like retired and lives on the gold and I met him through a friend and was just telling him what I did and he's like, mate, I love what you do. Like, can I help you? Maybe make a good human factory, a global brand and like help with the branding and the growth and the scaling, which scares the hell out of me. Like, cause it's just like this small mental health thing, but he wants to like turn it into this big like global thing and he wants to help me so i'm like in the midst of like early conversations with that which is exciting like a vc like investment sort of like venture capital sort of guy well, or like a no not even that like he's like a creative director wow. so he's more so wants to help with like the creative and then he's like but then we'll build a team around us with like people with like good equity and which scares me because i'm like that wasn't the vision that i really had for it but i'm like at the end of the day what i want to do is have the most impact globally i can around people's mental health and that's the way to probably scale it that way. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So that's like something crazy exciting. Um, and then I'm also like in the final stages of potentially doing this like reality TV show on young Australian entrepreneurs with this big American company. So I'm like, that could happen over summer. So that's like- Have you recorded for that yet? We're just like in the final stages of like doing the sizzle decks for it and stuff. Wow. So that's like, yeah, there's a few like a, a few other like big young Aussie like girl entrepreneurs and then- yeah, so if that comes off, which it sounds like it probably will be great for my business and my profile and, um, yeah, just for, I don't know, the growth. <laughs> so, so that's, like, exciting. But, yeah, I'm just kind of taking it as it comes right now. So many opportunities continue to arise. The more everything grows, the more opportunities seem to come up. But I just want to continue working alongside cool people and just keep meeting people. And, 
yeah, just get better at public speaking. Like I'm stoked on all the opportunities I've been getting with high schools and my corporate speaking is starting to take off a bit. So stoked to be able to do a bit more of that. And yeah, just looking forward to what life can bring because I'm, yeah, really open to the growth that seems to be coming right now. But yeah, excited for what the future brings. Right on, man. That's so fucking cool. So excited for you, bro. I just love the energy. It's inspired me to really keep pushing. I think a lot of people today will be fucking wanting to run through a brick wall and, and get started. <laughs> so that's sick. If, if people want to contact you, where do they go to? Is it just your website or what? Yeah, if you want to learn more about the Good Human yeah. Factory, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, but just thegoodhumanfactory.com. You can learn about the workshops, our yeah. merch. Um, our ambassador program is really cool as well. Um so yeah, that's that. Check out obviously the Good Human Factor on Instagram. My Instagram's just at Cooper Chapman, and yeah, reach out if you ever want to have a chat. I'm always super open to writing back to DMs and talking to people about what they're going through and hearing people's stories. Because yeah, I think it's um yeah, it's it's just exciting what's coming up to be honest. But yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, I'm a very open person to share my experience, and if I can write back to you, I get back to everyone. So yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Hopefully people enjoyed this episode. Like you'll probably say, share on your story, tag both of us. Cause um, I love to see people hearing from my story as well. That's fucking awesome, man. I'm sure a lot of people will be doing that and, and getting in touch. So I really do appreciate it. Um, hopefully this is the, the first of many catch-ups for us and love to love to stay in touch and keep you involved and and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. I'm stoked to hopefully get you. <laughs> We've been trying to get this done for so long. Yeah. So it might take us another year to get you on mine, but we'll get you on my podcast soon <laughs> because, it, yeah, I'm excited to get to know your story even deeper Appreciate as well. Appreciate it. Let's do it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Legend. Thanks for listening to another Producey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest, or advertise with one of our podcasts, then email hello at producey.com. Thanks for tuning in. IllyXX. Easter. Four days of outdoor adventures, work in the garage or doing stuff around the home or even in the garden. You've got to love that. Bring on the jobs and pile them up. 101 long weekend jobs ready to tackle. You could be in the outdoors, putting your four-wheel drive to the test, tearing down an internal wall or maybe putting a new one up, or even repurposing an old wine barrel for an outdoor table. Whatever the task over Easter, Trojan Tools are up for the job. Trojan Tools. Quality tools at DIY prices backed by a lifetime warranty. Available in store or online at Bunnings Warehouse. Trojan. Tools built tough.